Thank you for listening to this message from The Resting Place Tampa. We exist for the lost to be found, the found to be free, and peace to reign in our city. For more great resources like this, check out TheRestingPlaceTampa.com. We're in the middle of a series called Faith Foundations, and last week we talked about Noah. My little boy, he says no that way. He says, Noah. It's funny. Anyway, we talked about how the, the stories of the Old Testament are actually instructional. Romans 15, verse 4, I believe it says that everything written beforehand, Paul is talking about the Old Testament, is written for our instruction. Say instruction. I look at that as structure within. So the more you read the Old Testament, the more structure you got inside to weather the things that come against you. Amen? Maybe the lack of like steadfastness in your life is a lack of time in the Word. Maybe. Just saying, maybe. Maybe you need the instruction of the Word. Amen? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. And when he was writing that, he was talking about the Old Testament. Because whatever is written beforehand is for our instruction that we might have hope through the encouragement of the Scriptures. So, you read these stories and you don't get hope out of it, you're reading it wrong. <laughs> if you read the Old Testament and you don't, hope doesn't rise up in you, you should read it again and ask God where the hope's at. Where the hope like, where's the beef? Where's the hope? That kind of thing. Where is it? Because it's in there, according to the Bible. Amen? So that's the reason for this series. I want to I be able to start with foundational things in our lives that, that give us hope, that instruct us, that build us up, because we also are that temple rising like perfectly fitted stones, fitted together the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we are a temple rising to become a resting place for the Most High God, a dwelling place for the Lord. Amen? So we, we should probably, you know, check the foundations and see what it's about. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're going to talk about Joseph today. We're going to talk about Joseph and the coat of many colors. Anybody watch Donnie Osmond and that awesome wig? <laughs> Anybody remember the wig? It, it was almost my hair. It was close to my hair, but not nearly as good looking. And anybody remember this? The coat of many colors, and he was dancing and singing. That's like burned into my childhood, you know. It's there. I couldn't forget it if I tried. Anyway, how many of you have heard the story of Joseph and the, the journey to Egypt and the pit being sold into slavery, the coat of many colors? Yes? One more time. You have heard. Okay, the rest of you, I'm assuming you haven't. So I'm going to go a little bit slow, but I have to go pretty fast because here we go. Here's the deal. What I learned from the story of Joseph is this. If you, if you hear nothing else today, hear this. What I hear from the story of Joseph, the, the instruction that comes to me, the hope that comes to me from the story of Joseph is this. If it's not good, then it's not over. That's what that story tells me because this guy went through the ringer, all right? This guy went through it. We're going to talk about some of it today. So it's actually scriptural. Romans eight twenty eight. you know this verse, but in the New King James Version, it says, we know, do you know? Are you part of the we? We know. I love saying we know. Like I'm a part of that. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the call, called according to his purpose. Right? All things work together for good to those who love God. All things work together for those who love God. God works all things together. Isn't that good news? Now here's the thing. And I'm going to just, I'm just going to, I might kick your worldview in the teeth right now. I don't know. Who knows? I might, you know. Your worldview as in like the way you view things around you. I might actually like kick the door in on that. And I'm okay with it because I didn't want, I'm too, I said it first, but I'm too sleep deprived to give the message I'm about to give you. Um, I had a newborn come on July 3rd. We've, he's beautiful. He's amazing. Shiloh Elijah. 
Mom and baby are doing great. It's good. Um, but this is a tough word, what I'm about to say. It's good. It's challenging. I even put it on Facebook. So if you saw my Facebook and you're here, then you're accepting the challenge. <laughs> I said, don't come if you don't want to be challenged. So I'm going to start a little slow. I'm going to, I'm going to give it to you slow. And I just want you to say this with me. I don't need to be right. I need to know the truth. That's what I say to myself often when listening to other people speak. I don't need to be right. I need to know the truth. Listen, that'll save you a lot of grief and a lot of turmoil. You don't need to be right. You need to know the truth. And if you know the truth, then you're right. I get that. But I'm just saying it's a good starting point. Amen. One more time. I don't need to be right. I need to know the truth. The phrase God is in control is not in your Bible. Do we need to say it again? I don't need to be <laughs> Listen, because God does not send all things, but he wastes nothing. God doesn't send all things, but God wastes no thing. It's the truth. God uses all things, but God does not send all things. Listen, we're talking about the sovereignty of God. This is a big Big, big subject, and I'm just going to not even scratch the surface. We're going to, like, sniff the surface of this right now, all right? So, for real. God is in control is a half-truth. Because God could control you. How many know God is all-powerful? God is sovereign. That is a biblical concept. God can do anything. No one's telling God what to do. Not even you, believe it or not, when you pray. No one is telling God what to do, yeah. Somebody needed to hear that. No one is telling God what to do. Okay? Yes, it's a relationship. Yes, you can, you should in all things and prayer and supplication give, bring all your requests to the Lord. Yes, but you don't tell God what to do because no one tells God what to do. God is God. Are we okay? God is sovereign. God is supreme. No one is higher than God. However, God in his sovereignty has chosen not to control you. God in his sovereignty has chosen not even to control the world. Yeah, he set the natural order in place, but they messed it up. The first two people messed it up. The first two humans. Why do you think God put two trees in the garden? Because God didn't want to control them. God wanted them to choose him. God doesn't want to be in control. God wants to be in love. God wants to be in love. And God is in love because God is love. He can't help himself but love you. God is in love with you. God thinks you're to die for and love requires a choice. If love requires a choice and God is love, then God is not controlling you. And this is actually a harmful statement, in my opinion, to say God is in control because it's usually used as a justification for terrible things happening in your life. Right? It's usually not. Okay. Raise your hand if the last time something awesome happened to you, you went, God is in control. Raise your hand. Anybody? Yeah? Okay. One guy out of the whole room. One guy. I believe him. Whatever. I'm taking his word. Unless he's being sarcastic. I don't know. I just met you. So when we say God is in control, it's usually to comfort ourselves for something we don't understand. It's usually in the midst of confusion, like I don't get this, or pain. Like somebody gets diagnosed with cancer, we say God is in control. No, God is sovereign, and he's asked you to partner with his sovereignty to release the kingdom on the earth. 
He doesn't want robots. He wants lovers. He wants you to walk with him like they did in the garden. It's always been a choice. Love requires a choice. Amen? Amen. That's just the truth. You've actually been given a certain spirit. You've been given the spirit of self-control. Now think about that for a second. You've been given the spirit of self-control. She said, oh, that's scary. Yeah. You are in charge of you. Oftentimes we blame God and the devil for stuff that's our fault. Okay. Listen, you ran out of money by the end of the month. It might not have been the devil. It might have been your poor budget or lack thereof. You know those church sign memes? They say different things all the time. It's hilarious. I saw one once. It said, everything happens for a reason. Sometimes that reason is you. <laughs> everything happens for a reason. Sometimes that reason is you were, you did something dumb. <laughs> that was stupid. You know, that thing you did. And now that's the reason it's happening. But we've got this idea, this paradigm that's prevalent in the church that if it happens, God wanted it to happen. No one will come out and say that, but they say things like God is in control. Some will come out and say, God wanted this to happen. Some will literally preach that God wanted you to have cancer to teach you a lesson. Some will preach that God wanted you to go through that divorce so that you can learn what it's like to love someone. Well, if you're God's child, and that's the paradigm here, father, son, father, daughter, if I treated my children that way, hopefully you would try and get me brought up on charges for child abuse. If I used... If I broke my son's arm and said, you need to learn what it's like to feel pain. This is to teach you a lesson. It's going to hurt me more than I hurt you. You know, no, that's the Godfather, not God the Father. All right. We don't, that is not God. All right. This is important. And we hide this garbage behind statements like God is in control. And we think it's scriptural. It's not in your Bible. It's not in any translation. I've searched three times. It's not there. Okay? The sovereignty of God is throughout the scriptures, that God can do whatever he wants. Like Paul, Saul on the way to Damascus, that guy was not looking for the Lord, not trying to serve God. He thought he was serving God, but he was killing Christians. God knocked him off his donkey. Sovereign move of God. I understand. Ananias and Sapphira dropping dead when they lied to the Holy Spirit. Sovereign move of God. I get it. I know. But that doesn't mean that God sends all things, that all things are from God. No. No. Let me just show you Isaiah 54, 14 through 17. You should read this whole chapter, but it says in righteousness, you shall be established. Now, have you been made righteous? Yes. Okay. In righteousness, you shall be established. So this is talking about you. Say, this is about me. If you've been established in righteousness, this is about you. This is prophesying of the new covenant. Are you following me? This is one of the prophets, Isaiah, major prophet, speaking of what is to come. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear. And from terror, for it shall not come near you. If anyone stirs up strife, it is not from me. God literally said, if anyone stirs up strife, it's not from me. If you're having a hard time, someone's causing you strife, something is coming against you, it's not from me. I'm not sending it. That's the opposite of what's preached. <laughs> That's the opposite of what's understood. Am I making this up? No, I am not. 
Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire, the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravager to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the sovereignty of God. He created the ravager so he knows how to overcome the ravager. See, people read stuff like that and say, he created the ravager, so if I'm being ravaged, it was God's will. That's where that comes from. That's where all this stuff comes from. You got to do theological somersaults around the life of Jesus to believe it. But it's true. (laughs) If God sends pain, then Jesus was acting against the will of God every time he healed somebody. He finishes saying, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. And Jesus in John 10.10 said, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So when you say... God killed that person, you might be calling him a thief. And you might be calling Jesus a liar. I know there are people that died at the hand of God. I know. I've read my Bible. I get it. I get it. But this is the heritage of those who are righteous. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. You shall be established in righteousness. And if anyone sends you strife, it's not from me. Newsflash. I'm not going to send you bad things. I'm going to make it all good in the end. That's what Jesus is saying. Come on, this isn't the prosperity, whatever preaching you might want to peg it as. But there's only one gospel. It's the prosperous one. The one that wants to prosper you and not to harm you. The one to give you a plan, a hope, and a future. (laughs) Come on. God is sovereign. We've been given the spirit of self-control. God is in control. Is not in your Bible. Stop saying it like it's scriptural. That's one of those right along with cleanliness is next to godliness. That's also in the book of opinions, chapter one, you know, it's not in the Bible. I had a preacher once do that. He, a whole room, he says, how many know the scripture? Cleanliness is next to godliness. And everyone raised their hand. I was in the room sinking down the front row like, "Uh uh-oh. And he goes, not in your Bible, while they still had their hands up. And I was like, that was mean. That was mean. You know, I'm being gentle with you. I'm just giving you some comparison to be gentle. So the story of Joseph, and I have to really hurry, Okay. Joseph, I'm going to skip over. I'm not going to read Genesis 37. You should read Genesis 37 through 47 this week, all right? That's 10 chapters of the Bible. (gasps) Oh, my gosh. That's a lot of reading. Yeah, it's okay. You got seven days. Figure it out. One and a half chapters a day, something like that. This is the story of Joseph. Joseph was loved by his father. His father loved him more than he loved all his brothers, okay? And you should read this story for yourself. I don't have time to read all the scriptures I wanted to read. And we're not going to read 10 chapters on a Sunday morning. You know, anyway, Joseph was given a coat, a robe, a coat of many colors, right? And it's actually a princely gift. It was a kingship robe that Jacob, his father, made for him. And it marked him as the favored one, as the the one. And his brothers hated him for it. Joseph had a couple of dreams after he got that robe about the, you remember this? The, the sheaves of wheat bowing down before him. He was the tall one. They were the short ones bowing down before him. He shared it with his brothers. That didn't make him very popular with the brethren, you know? And so he somehow, some way has another dream and decides to share the second one, you know, with them, which was not very smart about stars and moons bowing down to him as well. Those dreams were from God. He had dreams from God and they actually came true. All right? And there's a lot of symbolism there. Can't go into it. But they actually happened. All right? But you don't always need to share the dreams you have in your heart. You don't always need to share the dreams God gave you, especially not with those who already don't like you. Just protect them. Just do it. Let me help you. Okay? Joseph 
actually goes one day out to his brothers, and I'm just going to give you a few pictures, okay? We're going to run through a few pictures of Joseph, all right? Because I believe that this is instructional. I believe that those pictures show us Christ. I believe Joseph is the most specific archetype of Jesus. I believe he's the most vivid picture, prophetic picture, the forerunner of Christ. I'm going to show you all these different pictures. You might not jive with all of them. That's okay. I get, I like it. It's fun. So Joseph, I'm going to tell you the story while going through this and we can take that down just so we're not distracted here. Eyes on me. Joseph was given a princely robe. Okay. It's a kingship thing by his father and his brothers were jealous of him. Jesus was crowned king at his birth and his whole life. They were jealous of him. All right. Can you imagine being the cousin to the son of God? Can you imagine growing up in the same house as God? <laughs> like, you know, you've seen that mean bath time. He's standing on the water, the baby Jesus standing on the water. And you're under the water. You're trying to get it. He's like, what? Jesus, come on. You know, come on. He, this is, I'm being a little funny, but it's scriptural. The Pharisees hated him. That was the people of God, Israelites, right? When he went to his hometown, what happened? He could do no mighty miracle there because they took offense at him. They said, isn't this the guy who grew up with us? Jesus was hated by his brothers. Even James was slow to believe in him. One time he said, why don't you go down to the feast? Why don't you go down and show yourself? Don't do these miracles in the backwoods of Galilee. Go down to the feast and show everyone who you are if you are who you say you are. James, the guy who wrote the book of James, like they, I mean, his own brothers mocked him. Yeah, crazy. So... That's a picture. Here's another one. Joseph was sent to his brothers by his father in the field to check their progress while shepherding the field. Okay? That's how the whole thing goes downhill. Jesus was born next to a field in a feeding trough where they lay the Passover lamb, by the way. I don't have time. But he was laid in the place where they prepare the Passover lamb. Yes, he was. Next to a shepherd's field. And the shepherd's field is where the angel showed up and announced his coming. Joseph was sent by his father to his brothers in a shepherding field. Jesus was sent by the father by way of a shepherding field. Are you seeing, starting to see some of this? This is crazy to me. Joseph already said that he was hated and jealous by his brothers. Oh, Joseph was hated by his brothers because of the father's love for Joseph. That's what it says in the text in Genesis 37. Because his father loved Joseph so much, that's why they hated him. Not because of his dreams, not because he shared the dreams. That made it worse. But they hated him because of the father's love for him. Same thing with Jesus. They hated Jesus because he claimed to be the son of God, to be equal with the father. That the father loved him perfectly. That he only did what the father was doing. This drove them nuts. Yeah? The destiny and favor on his life. Same with Joseph and Jesus. Joseph was actually thrown into a pit by his brothers once they found him in the field. They took advantage of his innocence. He walked right into it. He walked right into it. Didn't have a clue. All right? Innocence. Jesus also was called the lamb that was slain. The lamb that's led to slaughter. Innocent like a little lamb. Like he didn't know what was going to happen. Even his disciples are like, don't go there, Jesus. They're going to kill you. He's like, that's the plan. Yeah. So, do you see the innocence parallel there? Here's one. Uh, Judah actually was the one who brought up selling Joseph to the Moabites, the Ishmaelites. Okay, same thing. And they actually sold Joseph for 20 pieces of silver. Did you know that? Jesus was sold by Judas, which is a variant of the name Judah, for 30 pieces of silver. I blame inflation. Whatever. You know what I mean? So... No, it's actually the going rate of a slave, actually, is what it was. So isn't that amazing? 
betrayed by a brother, by a friend. It's 20 pieces of silver, 30 pieces of silver. Is this helping you see Jesus on the page? Is this helping you? Is this good? Okay, Joseph was actually purchased by Potiphar, the captain of the guard, and he really liked him. He, Joseph increased Potiphar's house so much that all Potiphar had to worry about was what he wants to eat for lunch. Okay, it says all he had to decide on what he was going to eat. This guy's the captain of the guard of the most powerful nation on the planet at that time. This guy ran the whole guard for Egypt, all the army, all the, I mean, that's, and all he had to worry about was what he had to eat because he had a slave named Joseph. That's pretty impressive slavery right there. I'm just saying, like he was enslaved and, and worked so well and, and gave so much to Potiphar that Potiphar didn't have to care, had a care in the world. That's amazing to me. And so Potiphar loved him. Potiphar had favor for him. Even when his wife accused him of uh, adultery, he could have had him killed like that. Not a problem for that accusation. Instead, he threw him into prison. That was a mercy move. And it was to save face. Okay. Jesus also was handed over like a slave in the night. He was from the high priest, the Jews, his brothers, all that stuff, to Pilate. And Pilate didn't want to crucify him. Pilate was like, there's nothing wrong with this guy. Just like Potiphar was like, there's nothing wrong with this guy. But I got to save face. He had to wash his hands with Joseph and throw him in prison. Just like Pilate had to wash his hands with Jesus and order him to be crucified. Is anyone seeing this? Anyone alive? Good. <laughs> Joseph went into the prison and he was forgotten, but he was rescued because he had a dream. and Or no, he interpreted dreams for two guys, right? So he was rescued, and then he had wisdom for Pharaoh's dream, and he actually saved all of Egypt from a famine, okay? That's how the story goes. You're going to read it this week. You're going to like it. It's an epic story. It really is. Jesus also went down into the prison, into, the, into hell in the grave, and he also, by the power of God, was rescued from that grave, and he also saved the world from famine, spiritual famine, eat my flesh, drink my blood. My flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. All life is in me. When we partake of the word of God, which is uh, Jesus used his flesh as a metaphor for that, then we're also filled. Egypt is a picture of the world. Are you following me? Saved from famine by Joseph out of the prison. Jesus out of the prison of death also saved us from spiritual famine. Isn't that amazing? I've got a few more. Do you want them? Or are you okay? Okay. This one's crazy. Joseph, when he was in the prison, interpreted Two dreams, one from the butler and the baker. Say the butler and the baker. The butler is the cupbearer, and the baker is the guy who makes the bread, the baker. You know? So they both have a dream. They're both thrown in prison at the same time that Joseph is in there. And they tell Joseph their dream. Joseph interprets the butler's dream favorably and says, in three days, you're going to be released from prison and you're going to live. Remember this story? Anybody? And he says, the baker then says, and uh, tells him his dream. He says, that means in three days, you're going to lose your head. Actually, you're going to die. So Joseph in the lowest place of his life interprets the dreams of these two people. One gets a life sentence, one gets a death sentence. Jesus in the lowest place of his life on the cross was crucified between the butler and the baker. One said, remember me this day and was given the life sentence. One said, mocked him and jeered him and died a criminal's death, was not released. You seeing this? Yeah, come on. Crazy stuff. Good stuff. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams by the power of God and rescued. Jesus also was rescued from the grip of death by the power of God. But Joseph was actually given a place at Pharaoh's right hand. He's 
Pharaoh, literally, Pharaoh's right-hand man. I'm going to read you the scripture in a minute. Jesus also was rescued from the grave and went and sat at the right hand of the Father. He's also at the right hand. He's the right hand of God. Come on. Here's what happened. Genesis 41, 39 through 44 says, this is after Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream that gets him out of prison and saves Egypt. He says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. Come on, you want kings to think you're cool? Go to the dream interpretation class on Wednesday night and figure it out. He says, you will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I sitting on my throne will have a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. From the prison to the palace to the entire land of Egypt is under his charge. Come on. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. I don't have time. A lot of symbolism here. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. That's the third robe that Joseph was given. The one from his father, the one he ran out of from Potiphar's wife, and the one from Pharaoh. You have to figure that out later. Sorry. I have way too many notes. Um, then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. Here it is. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. Every knee bowed as he passed by. Come on. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. That's power. That is power. And I don't have time for this last picture, but Later, I'm going to do it anyway. Later, Joseph meets his brothers, right? And his brothers come to him and they don't recognize him. And they're escaping the famine. They're coming to Egypt. Joseph has set it up so well that Egypt is actually outsourcing grain in a famine. That's what it's like when you partner with God through the supernatural. You get to not only survive a famine, you get to make money in a famine. You get to outsource grain in a famine through the wisdom and power of God if you partner with him through dreams, prophecy, Whatever, the supernatural is more natural than you think, right? That's amazing. So they come to buy grain from Joseph, right? And then they say, he, and he kind of grills them, interrogates them. They say, we're 11 brothers. We had, a, we had a 12, but he died. And they don't know they're talking to the one that died. Crazy stuff, right? And Joseph says to them, I, go back and get your 11th brother and bring him to me because he wanted to see the dream come true. He wanted to see all 11, right? Right in front of him. Do you guys know this is the making of the nation of Israel right here? This dysfunctional family is the making of the nation of God. Sold him into slavery, tried to kill him. Read about Judah and Tamar. Read about, read about these dudes. You think your family's messed up. <laughs> You'll feel better about your family once you read, I'm telling you. All right, so they... He says this very pivotal thing. Joseph says to them, go get your brother Benjamin. That's his name. He says, you will not see my face again until I see Benjamin. Now, just go with me here. This is going to have to go dive deep for this one. All right. Benjamin literally means son of my right hand. Joseph said, you will not see my face again until I see the son of my right hand. If Joseph is an archetype for Christ, which I believe I showed you enough pictures to maybe tilt you that way, maybe you're starting to believe that, then we will not see Christ's face again until he sees a son of his right hand. What is all creation groaning for? Eager expectation groaning for? The rapture? Second coming? 
Hashtag second coming. Those fra- that phrase is not in your Bible either. Find it. Bring it to me. I'll say I'm wrong next week. It's not in there. But please go look anyway because it will get you in your Bible. That's my goal. <laughs> All right. All creation is groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. All creation is groaning for a son of God's right hand. And it's not the return of the Son of God. It's you and I growing up into maturity and looking like the counterpart to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the mirror image of Christ. That's what is holding up the train, y'all. And you know what makes it slow down and puts chicken grease in the engine? Statements like, God is in control. No, you are in control of you. We are in control of this. God has given the earth to the children of men. We are supposed to be dictating and deciding what goes on down here. But when we throw it off into those statements, when we throw it off into this this stuff and say, like, God is in control, God's got it. No, God gave it you. God decided to control it by putting you in its path. And God needs you to grow up so that you can actually mount up as a king and reign in life like Romans 5 talks about. You're supposed to be reigning as kings in life. I'm not talking about like crowns and robes and things like that. I'm talking about like we shouldn't have all this calamity around our finances. The church should not be broke. The church should not be... Name, you pick your poison. The church should not be that. It shouldn't look like the world. The world should be coming to us going, can I have some grain? But we're like, I'm in the pit. I'm in the palace. God is in control. What are you doing to me? Instead of the world seeking us for grain, all we do is complain. And it's rooted in in lies. It's rooted in unbelief. It's rooted in, in bad theology like God is in control. God is sovereign and put us in control down here. Jesus even said to the disciples, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, you go. Why do you think, why why wouldn't Jesus just stick around and heal everybody? Like he didn't have to die. He's not dead. He he went into heaven. Why did he peace out to the other realm? Why did he go on the other side? Why didn't he just stay here and be like, be healed, be healed, be healed, line up, be healed, be healed, be healed, be healed. You know what I mean? Like, why didn't he do that? Oh, because the plan is you. You're the plan. You're the plan. And if we keep these bad sayings, these bad whatevers in our, you know, whatever you want to call it. We keep living from these statements and these things that are not scriptural and are half-truths. We're only going to be half-effective. I wouldn't even say we've been half-effective. Honestly, it hurts my heart to say that, but people are dying right now. People are being raped right now. God is in control. That's a damaging statement. Let's just leave that in the room. Like, forget it here. I forget it even was an idea. God gave us authority in Christ. Not to be controlling, but to serve. God is a servant. God is love who serves. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. How controlling is that? Are you okay? Okay. This is the deal. 
God is really good at using all the pieces to get you to your destiny. He's really good at it. Like the best chess player you've ever heard of. You know what I mean? Like really good. He's not freaking out about the devil or what the devil's doing. He's not even freaking out about you and what you're doing. He's not like, ah, Michael, did you see what they did? They did it again. What am I going to do? Oh, no. I'm in control. So I just, did I do that to them? Did I make it do it? Did I make them do it? Is God in control of you? Does God control you? No, then what is God in control of? It's a half statement. It's a half truth. It's not good. Bad. Hashtag forget it. (laughs) I got heroes who tout that. I'm not upset if people disagree with me on this. It doesn't bother me, but it's not true. It's not the truth. It's okay. You can disagree with me too. It's fine. But let's read Romans 8, 28 through 29 now in the Passion Translation as we close here. Running a little behind, sorry. Says, we are convinced. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. You know what God's perfect plan is? Your life being good. You know what I wish people would say about Christians? They're just so good. I wish, I wish the world would say, you know what? Those church people, they're just good. That guy over there, he's a Christian. He's good. Is that what they say? No. How do we fix it? We get the truth because the truth will set you free. And I'm telling you the truth today. God has given you a spirit of self-control for a reason. That means God controls himself and you control yourself. All right? Get it together. You've been given everything you need to control yourself. It's what I'm trying to tell you. All right? And even if you don't, if it's not good, it's not over. God's still going to make it good. All right? Come on. His perfect plan is bringing good into our lives, for we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his design purpose. For he knew all about us before we were born, and he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. Your destiny is to be just like Jesus. How do you get there? You believe that's your destiny, and you let him work it all out for your good. Amen? Amen. Amen. If it's not good, then it's not over. Amen? God doesn't send all things, but he wastes nothing. God is not going to waste your tragedy. So why should you? God is not going to waste your tears. So why should you? God is not going to waste your pain. So why should you? Blaming God. And for crying out loud, quit blaming God for the stuff the devil does, like stealing, killing, and destroying. You're calling God a thief. You're calling Jesus a liar. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I don't care where you grew up. I don't care what. I don't care who you are. That's a good word. All right. That's the truth. All right. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from The Resting Place Tampa. We exist for the lost to be found, the found to be free, and peace to reign in our city. For more great resources like this, check out TheRestingPlaceTampa.com.